This episode is brought to you by Euphoria on HBO. Starring actress and singer Zendaya, Euphoria follows a group of high school students as they navigate love and friendships in a world of drugs, sex, trauma, and social media. Considered by critics downright gorgeous and truly remarkable, Euphoria is Emmy eligible for Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. We're here today on Crew Call with composer Nicholas Brutel, who continues to expand the opera of media mogul Logan Roy, his dutiful yet flawed son Kendall, and the Logan Dynasty in the second season of HBO Succession, with a classical score that evokes all sorts of emotions, such as greed, tragedy, and success. Bertel is the two-time Oscar-nominated composer of Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, and he won the Primetime Emmy last year for the original main title theme of Succession. He's here on our latest episode of Crew Call. How did how was season two delivered to you? Did you watch did you watch the first episode before you began composing, or did you start composing when you got the script? I started real early. I started before I had even read anything, um, and I think that's one of the, I think the long term dreams that you have as a composer. Uh, the, the, those dreams are like getting these kinds of creative partnerships where you can learn about each other, learn about the creative teams, learn about the director, the showrunner, Jesse Armstrong in this case, and and continue over time where you learn about things early, where you get the chance to talk about stuff before it's shot. Um, so with, with season two, I spoke with Jesse before they had shot anything. Um, and actually, I, I had started doing some experiments just on my own of, you know, what if, what if, we evolved things in this direction or what if we evolved things in this direction? And, and my early kind of hypothesis, which I presented to Jesse was this idea of what if we imagine season two musically is kind of like the second movement of this symphony that we are writing together where it's still, still the same structure, still same piece, you know, in the sense of the broader scope, but but it's a new movement. It's a new idea. It's a new tone. Uh, my my starting hunch was that it would be more morose. It would be more brooding. Uh, I knew that Kendall was going to start in this very melancholic place because we saw how season one ended, where you know there's this horrible, tragic act, this cover up. He's harboring this guilt. Um, he's in a sense giving away his freedom, his liberty in order to, uh, and, and, and having to swear allegiance to his father that he has spent the entire season trying to, uh, achieve independence from who, you know, from whom he is trying to achieve independence. And, um, I think that, uh, really that idea was the kernel of the musical, uh, starting point. So I played Jesse a theme, actually it was two themes. One was this F minor kind of idea, um, which I had imagined for Kendall as a starting point. And then the other was this idea, which was more of a Baroque kind of feeling thing. You know, in season one, um, the the question I had for myself was, what's the music that the Roy family might imagine for themselves? And the the one of the one of the answers that I sort of proposed musically was that they would imagine this kind of dark 
courtly classical sound, which to me really was this sort of sound of really the late 1700s harmonically. Um, the Baroque sound that I started playing with in season two is an older kind of a sound. You know, it's a sound almost from 100 years before that in, let's say, musical history. So... I had this idea of like, what if I wrote kind of like a concerto grosso, which was this old form that that existed in the really the, you know, late 1600s into the 1700s. But over time, uh, people stopped utilizing the concerto grosso as a as a form. Um, But what it what a concerto grosso is, is it's it's where you have multiple instruments that are all kind of vying for virtuosity over this bed of sound. And that as but this was even before I played for Jesse, it was this this idea of like, what would that that felt metaphorically like it might have some significance for us in season two. Well, I I, I didn't want to jump to to episode ten okay. immediately. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get to this a bit. A, a, we'll get to this a bit later. But but concerto grosso in C minor is in episode ten, the finale. Exactly. Exactly. I wrote so that piece was scored for that moment, but the kernel of the idea, the sort of demo draft, was and I and I like doing this really on all projects is getting involved really early, where I can try to have these early hypotheses because, as you and I have talked about in the past, I mean, you never know what's going to work until you put it up against the picture. So the 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 more time you have to experiment, the more time you have to 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 see if you're wrong, you know, maybe, maybe these ideas totally don't work in which case great to learn that sooner, (laughs) you know, rather than later. Um, but, but when I played these things, I played Jesse, this, um, this F minor idea, and I really kind of tweaked it while he was here actually on this couch, (laughs) uh, you know, he, he came over to the studio and, um, and I played that for him. And then the goal of that piece, which, which you really hear as the Rondo and F minor for piano and orchestra, that which is which is sort of the the first full uh, iteration of that in season two. The goal of that piece was to start in this melancholic place with Kendall, but where the music would would somehow circle back to something that kind of rhymes with season one, because I think for me there was this question of season one had very very direct kind of chordal concepts and it had this winding sort of like slithering melody and these dissonances and and I wanted to figure out a way where I you know I didn't want to re- repeat that I I didn't want to I never want to overstay my welcome with these ideas you know I worry about that but at the same time I wanted to be able to show that we are in the same universe and these characters are it's the same people they're just going on a further journey um, so, so as you hear in Rondo and F minor, as the piece continues, sort of towards, I would say, the last third of the piece, it starts winding back to something that kind of sounds like season one in a way, but, but changed. And that was something that I tried to do with a lot of these um, musical ideas for season two, which was hint at season one, go somewhere else, and then kind of play like wink a little bit at that um and but go darker and go more sort of inward in a way because i feel season two was even further an inward journey for individual characters certainly for kendall um but also we're exploring shiv's own desires you know and roman we're getting very personal with roman and you know we're seeing all of these inner dynamics um and the family itself is exploring a new dynamic with the pierce family for example so all those different forces. I wanted to figure out a new way to kind of say those things, but with a very similar 
hopefully a similar tone. And, and Jesse was my guide. You know, Jesse entirely, anytime that I would veer away from things that felt right to him, I remember him uh, as we as I started getting episodes and as I started scoring it because I like to have these early ideas, but then I completely, you know, shift and evolve per every episode, every moment. And Jesse would give me great notes where um, there were a couple times, I would say in episode one, for example, where... I was, you know, I think he said something to me like, you know, there was this in the Rondo theme, there's a moment where the sun comes out a little bit, you know, where there's a little bit of sunshine, it's a little brighter. And I remember Jesse saying to me kind of like, let's hold off on that for now. You know, we don't, let's not, we need to stay, we need to really stay in this somber place. And perhaps there are other places where we can explore that kind of an idea, but especially at the beginning of season two, we need to be in this very somber place. Now you said um, Concerto Grosso had a Baroque sound to it. Would you say that most of the season two score is in the romantical era? It's a good question. You know, I, w- I would say that season two is a combination, if I'm getting really sort of music theory on it, there's, the, there's a sort of classical era harmonic universe that I'm still certainly living in. I would say it, it has explorations of Baroque structures and harmony, and also of, I would really term a kind of late classical era it possibly early romantic era classical, but it's definitely not, I wouldn't say it's really romantic era where it's getting into different types of forms, different types of harmonic and melodic exploration. You know, the romantic era really started having these fantastic liberties with structures and forms and harmony and chromaticism. And I I don't really do that. I think we really want to stay more in um, the Roy family has, I think to me, this very, there's a very clear structure to them. And so I like, and, and the classical era, you know, late 1700s, very early 1800s to me still has that. It's a very almost like kind of a Greek architecture kind of period of, of classical music, I would say. Now in, um, I'm, ju- I'm jumping ahead to episode five, where the two families meet, uh, the Roy's, the, uh, the Roy's and, and Holly Hunter's family. Um, two, the, the Pierce's, yeah. Pierce's, yeah two exactly. very different uh, philosophies. Uh, of course, we always think of the Roy's as being like the Murdochs. Uh, but you play, you play the, you play this cello quintet in C minor as they're preparing the dinner, and then as their ideas fly across the table, we have no music. Tell me about that. In that, where do you? De- you're watching an episode. Where do you decide to put the music? And was that cello quintet supposed to set up what we were going into? Yeah, no, I mean, it, these are these are great questions because I think the answer is like, I never know until I'm literally testing it out what's going to happen. Um, and that's the way, you know, you and I have spoken about this over the years, you know, that's the way I, I like to explore everything as an experiment. Like I, I let the, I think it's important to let the film or the, or the show in this case tell you what it needs. Um, all the great notions you have before the fact don't mean anything until you're doing it, you know? So, um, so for me, uh, I, I like the idea of these, these formal structures that happen 
um, at times in the show where where we do have these very clear um, you know moments of dramatic tension. There is at times you know almost this feeling of like uh, almost almost an operatic level of of drama that I think we're trying to create. And there the the cello quintet has a baroque feeling to it. Uh, the shapes of the melodies and the harmonies and the way that I I tried to ar- arrange these individual cellos to me it has a real dark kind of edginess to it. Uh, and as you know from season one, I'm I'm constantly sort of you know raising the bass up. You know, so there's a there's a lot of low end. Um, there's a lot of ominous tension to it. But there, you know, the cello quintet has so much in the way of inner dynamics and counterpoint. And for me, that felt like the right kind of an idea to present as we are about to see this very complex interrelationship between all these characters, these two families trying to interlock. Can they interlock? You know, can they meet up and form a union or, or, or will they not? And, and that, you know, at least metaphorically, I think sometimes it's interesting to think about those sorts of things. Um, but at base, all the musical ideas, I think they, they are tailored for every moment. So if it doesn't feel right, you know, you're saying, where do you put music? It's a test. I mean, Jesse and I, you know, our amazing music editors, John Finkley and Todd Cassow, the, the, the editors on the show, we all really explore these things. And until, you know, until we're really on the dub stage, um, fit, finishing the show, we're never totally sure. Um, I actually go to every mix of every episode. Uh, Over in England. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we mix it here, actually. We mix it here. Um, and I go to the dub stage, uh, uh, you know, in Midtown here and review, uh, you know, with the mixing team every episode. Um, and, uh, and we try to, you know, right up until the very end, we're seeing what the right feeling is because just like on a film, uh, you don't really know until you sit in a dark room and watch something. You don't know. You, you, you have to be really sensitive, I think, to what's right. And uh, there's certainly times where we'll have a, a piece of music in a certain place or a piece of music goes to a certain place and then we say, oh, wow, it's overstaying, it's welcome, what do we do? Um, in that case, it felt like the, the setup to the dinner was the right, right moment for that music. And, uh, and then it's very important for me in succession because you know, the writing, I find the writing so beautiful and, and powerful uh, in the show. And I'm always worried about stepping on the toes of the writing. So Jesse and I do talk about where does the music stop? You know, uh, in, in some ways, I think the starts are easier than the stops. You always want to make sure that you're stopping at the right moment. You don't, I don't want to invade the, the dialogue. And then, you know, conversely, there are certainly places where the music should continue. And, and I really trust Jesse's instincts on that. Uh, he has a really, really good sense of the places where the music, where, where music should live and should potentially live under dialogue. There's, there are some places where I was worried personally about, you know, is the music getting in the way? And um, and there were times where Jesse would say, "No, no, we really need that here." So let's let's jump back to the main title theme. It's expanded this season, or did you did, were you ex- even expanding it in season one as we went along? It's just yeah, beautiful so that, what you did. I love. I mean, oh, I thank, love, you, thank I, you. That <laughs> I think there's you know a lot of your fans have also responded to that and noticed that going. They already love the theme and they're like, oh my God, it's like we're getting (laughs) an extra, you know, zhuzh in it.
<laughs> well, there are these, well, thank you. No, I mean, I, I appreciate that. Cause it's like, I, there are a lot of variations throughout the show. There are all, and I love that kind of, in a sense, it's riffing on this kind of classical idea too. The, the form, the classical form of theme and variations as a structure was a classical form, you know, uh, over time, I think as a formal structure that wasn't used as much perhaps in later classical music. Um, so even the way that I'm sort of varying things at times has a bit of a classical feeling to it. The opening theme, uh, there is what we released on the season two soundtrack is this extended intro, which, uh, there was, there were a couple places in season one where we used, uh, we actually used a little bit of that where it's just a, you know, there's this kind of huge beat <laughs> set up that starts this thing. And then the main title hits, you know, and, um, and in season two, we were much more uh, uh, forward, I think, in using that as a buildup where you'll be watching a moment and then you'll start to hear that sound creeping in and then you know, okay, we're about to, we're about to hear that theme. So, so that was what, you know, I, really, I, I wanted to release it because I really feel like any of, these, any of these different versions or any of these different opportunities to share some of our variations, I want to, you know, I want to make as much available as possible. Now, uh, in the end of uh, episode two, final moments, when Kendall is shoplifting batteries, we hear andante con moto piano and strings. What was, what was going through your head? I think a lot about um, kind of symmetries of, th of things in the show. And there's a couple other symmetries that I can talk about, you know, as well. You brought up the Concerto Grosso and the, and the end of season two. There's some symmetry there with season, with how season two starts, actually. Um, but with the Andante con Moto in the, in the shoplifting batteries, for me, um, at the end of the pilot of season one, there's a piece of music, which is this kind of Andante con Moto, where it's, to me, I remember working on that with Adam McKay actually and talking about how I felt like the inner structure of that piece felt like a culminating kind of feeling like things the feel you know there's in life and in movies there are those feelings where it, where, where it feels like ideas are starting to all swirl together and where things feel like maybe you're starting to feel connections between a lot of different things all at once and with that piece in early on in season two it changes where you in the beginning it sounds similar to season one and then there's this moment where you where it goes to a totally a different chord that feels like we're starting to veer into a different place. That chord is actually a I take the one chord and actually make it a dominant seventh, and that starts to evolve into this whole other place. And that that one 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 seven chord um, takes us to this kind of uh, really more to me more emotional and even more melancholic kind of state. And I think this you know seeing Kendall shoplift batteries that this 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 little transgression it's 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 this sad moment where here's a guy who thought he was he was going to take over he wanted to be the ceo of waystar royco and now the only way that he can feel like a sense of independence is through shoplifting batteries from a store and you know it's 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 this incredible 180 turn in his fortunes and um and I and the music I think had to have this this sort of sad, tragic feel, but but also the scope because the story is still early on in its in its uh, journey. You know, it's it's episode two, 
So I wanted to get a sense of kind of the 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 the, the sense of 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 dark and maybe sad possibility uh, ahead. David, have you seen this new HBO series, Euphoria? I mean, talk about raising the bar for a teenage drama. The show follows a group of high school students as they navigate love and friendships in a world of drugs, sex, trauma, and social media. Euphoria stars Zendaya. You know her. She played MJ in the Spider-Man Homecoming movies, and she was on the Disney Channel series, Shake It Up. Well, here she shows a dramatic side that we haven't seen and it leaves you speechless. She stars in an ensemble cast that includes Hunter Schaefer, Jacob Elordi, Angus Cloud, and Sidney Sweeney. Deadline called the Sam Levinson-created series truly remarkable for your consideration in all Emmy categories, Euphoria. Any operas that ever inspired you in, in, in watching this show? I'm just curious. Not for this. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely think so there is an operatic feeling. Yeah, there is an operatic feeling to the to, And it's to a character. Yeah. You, really, you yeah. really have made a beautiful character that compliments everyone in the show. Thank you. And echoes. Thank you. Them. I mean, it, 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 and it, it's not something that I, I necessarily intended. You know, it, it wasn't like a conscious choice to say the music should be a character here. I think it was something that we all um, discovered as we went, that there were some of these themes felt like they were saying something maybe about all the characters at different times. And when these themes would come in, the presence of the themes would sort of put into stark relief some of what was happening. And I really trusted, I've trusted the whole creative team uh, to, you know, where and how and when and if the music enters. And I think it's something that we've just, um, we've all found out about the show that there was this interesting counterpoint that the music um, has, has begun to, to really provide in a way. Um, and, and again, you know, like I was saying, I'm, I'm always, as a composer, I think I'm, my biggest fear is always getting in the way of, of things. You know, I always, I want to oh, help. I want to so add, but I never want to, but you know what I mean? I never, I'm, I worry about that. I never want oh, to um, so get in the way of things. It's so welcome. So I, Oh, thank you. Well, but, but it's, but it's, that's why for me, the key is this conversation with Jesse Every episode, Jesse and I will get in touch and talk about that and, and say, you know, I'll, we'll, and we'll try things. And, and what's been amazing to me is, is as a composer, every project you learn something new. And this, as you said, you know, this is my first television series. This is the first time I've done a new, a new season for something. And as a fan of, of, you know, television and TV themes growing up, you know, I, to write themes for TV is so much fun for me. I, lo- I like, love this. Um, but, but, you know, I'm constantly finding the ways in which things work and they don't work. Uh, there, there, you know, I'll give an example, you know, just to go, you know, you brought up the end of the of season two. There's a, there's a very key moment in, at the end of episode 10 where, um, where Kendall is on his way to the press conference. Mm-hmm. And there's this piece of music, this piece that I called Maestoso. Yes. Uh, which means majestic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there, and, and there's this, there's this moment where, I was imagining that maybe something else might go there. You know, I actually had been thinking to myself, you know, what if, what if there was a, like a more kind of, let's say possibly grand sound, if you will, something that was even be- like almost beautiful, almost like almost presaging what's to come. And I remember Jesse listened to one of these ideas that I'd had for that moment. 
and he and he called me and he said, "Look, you know, Nick, this is very beautiful. However, <laughs> I I don't think this is the right piece because it he and it was a really interesting kind of almost like philosophical point. He said it's so it's beautiful, and because it's beautiful and grand, it feels like something's about to happen. And we can't have people think something's about to happen <laughs> because we don't want them to. We want this to be a huge surprise." And so the Maestoso piece is darker and more, I, I think I said to Jesse, it feels, it feels very like turgid and kind of like, you know, really, uh, really like resigned to your fate. That's how it felt to me. You know, Kendall is resigned to his fate. He's, he's walking to the gallows here. You know, that's how it almost felt. Like, you know what's to come. He's already given in. And, and Jesse was totally right. Like I, I, it was, it was, once you, we watched it in the course of the episode, it was almost like a revelation how correct Jesse was. But that the other here's the thing: was yeah. the reason why? Because at the end of the show, and I'll put a spoiler alert on this podcast. He's the phoenix rising. He's the boxer that gets up from the mat. Exactly. He 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 turns the tables on his father, and we hear concerto. We hear um, we hear concerto, concerto grosso in C minor in the end yep. credits. And in my yep. notes here, I say it's like the end of E.T you know, you know. Oh, wow. You know, with the... With the, with the, the bicycle taking with off. The ket- with the Well, when the spaceship takes off. The and the spaceship. Driving. By the way, and those, I, I would just say as a shout out, just a total, like, John, that the end credits of E.T. in that moment, those, that's one of the greatest moments in, totally. in film. Totally, yeah. Certainly in film music. But anyway, this is in my yeah. notes. I'm not, I'm, it's right here. So, so, but was that so that you wouldn't spoil the ending? The, the fact exactly. that, you, that was exactly. you wouldn't yep. write that grand theme when he's going through the tunnel and he's driving there to the press conference. Exactly. That was the key. And, and I, you know, and it's, a, it's such a crucial element. That's kind of the final step, I think, of all scoring, you know, scoring is one of those funny alchemy things where like every, you have to look micro, you have to go every moment to moment, see what works micro, but then you ha- always have to zoom out and watch the whole thing and say, does it still work macro? You know, does, when I watch this thing through A to Z, does the storytelling still work structurally? And, and it's fascinating because you really, it's almost like a, it's almost like a strange neural limitation or something, certainly that I feel when I'm watching, you know, I can score a sequence and feel it's so right. And then I'll watch the episode through and realize that it totally doesn't work. <laughs> and, and you have to be very honest with yourself, you know, where you're like, wow, that, that just did not work. And, and, um, and, and this was one of those scenarios where Jesse was, that was really Jesse. He was just like, we can't give this away. So let's go with the, with the, with this other idea that you had, which I had also tried out there, you know, but, but that idea, which was the Maestoso piece and which did feel more turgid and darker and more, um, more inward, more he's resigned to his fate. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to come back to episode 10, but in episode eight, um, you had some fun here. You went, now back back in college, you were an instrumental hip hop group uh, <laughs> yes. called the Witness Protection Program. And here you are composing instrumental hip hop, L <laughs> to the OG, which- L to the OG. Which uh, Kendall uh, sings to his father. And then there's some Scottish themes, by the way, right as we go into the party. I noticed that. I was curious. 
There's a, that's that's actually a local Scottish okay. uh, band I didn't that we hired playing actual. I did not know. No, no, the diegetic, the diegetic Scottish music is a real Scottish. Because I was really that impressed that you went from the <laughs> Scottish theme, the very very no, no, soft no. Scottish. No, we wanted to be we wanted to be authentic with that. That was that was a local yeah. Scottish band. But L to the OG, tell me about just like loosening your collar and having fun and going back going back to some stuff that you used to do. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here to honor my dad's life and work. So when Rhea was planning this thing, she asked me to help out with a tribute of a certain flavor. Just remember, I'm not a professional. Born on the north bank, king of the east side, 50 years strong, now he's rolling in a sick ride, handmade suits, raking in loot, five-star general, y'all best salute, yo, bitches be catty, but the King Kong daddy, rock all the haters while we go roll a fatty, squiggle on the decks, candy on the rhymes, and Logan Big Ballin' on Hamptons. So it's, it was, I didn't know uh, when we started season two, I didn't know that that scene was going to happen, and I remember uh, kind of midway through while they were shooting, Jesse called me and he said, so there's going to be this scene where Kendall raps to his father as a tribute. Um, and, you know, the only thing he said to me uh, about that, he said, it's got to be totally cringeworthy, but it also has to be kind of well executed. <laughs> and I think the key there was the show itself hinges on that same dynamic, which is on the one hand, it's absurd at times. Mm -hmm. And at the other hand, it's incredibly serious. You know, I mean, the show is really about concentrations of wealth and power in the hands of the few, which as we see day day in, day out, is more and more of an issue globally. You know, it's a truly important uh, subject matter. Um, So it's serious what the show is, the underpinnings of the show are are about a serious phenomenon. But at the same time, the day-to-day human stories can be absurd. and. so I had to think to myself, you know, what's the right feeling for that? And we know Kendall is a huge hip hop fan. In the pilot of episode yes, one, we see him rapping to the Beastie Boys. Yeah. You know? And so I thought to myself, okay, you know, I'm, I'm basically the same age as Kendall. I'm 39. And I was in a hip hop band in college. And I was obsessed with beat making. I mean, I used to, I basically would do, I would spend four hours a day, almost every day of college making beats and writing music, you know? So I was really, that was my whole, I, I that's almost all I did in college was make beats. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, you know, maybe there's a, a track that I have that is authentic from that moment in time that, you know, I was thinking that those formative moments in our lives musically are really high school and college. I think when the music we hear in high school and college sticks with us. So I found this track that actually where I'd remixed a Bach prelude, gave it kind of more of a hook and put this beat on it. And it was very, you know, and, and, and it felt, I don't know, it just felt like it was right for Kendall. So I sent it to Jesse. Jesse was really into it. And then I got these lyrics from Will Tracy and Adam McKay. And I started kind of laying it all out together. And Jeremy Strong reached out and said, you know, how are we going to approach this? So I said, well, you know, here's the beat. Here's these lyrics. And Jeremy basically asked me, he said, you know, would you show me how to do it? Would you, like, would you rap the track for me? And honestly, I was like, okay, you know, if you promise that no one in the history of the future of civilization will ever hear this track, 
<laughs> I write hip hop. I don't recite it. <laughs> I do not do that. If you promise That's... that that will literally <laughs> never, never, never happen, yeah. then, then I will do this for you. And so I, so I, I demoed the track out for him and I sent him, you know, this demo and he used that to, to rehearse to it and to listen to it and to, and to practice it. And full credit to Jeremy Strong here, because I mean, Jeremy, you know, acting and rapping are different skill sets. Being a great actor, being a great rapper, you have, there's a, vir- there's a virtuosic sort of rhythmic and performative element to that. Jeremy Strong, told, that's him rapping it live at this event. You know, he's doing this track. That is, it's all Jeremy. So he made that happen. And, um, and actually he even, the melody that, that Kendall kind of, sing sings pseudo sings in there the sort of l to the og that thing that can that jeremy came up with that that was him so oh wow all power to jeremy for really making that kendall's own experience and and then what i loved about the experience was it was all it was this huge creative effort globally where the production team live on set making it work our post sound team our sound mixers our amazing music editors, John Finkley and Todd Cassow for weaving, you know, figuring out how to put this all together. Uh, Cause you know, live sound is a tricky thing to capture and how to get it. So it feels strong, but is live is not, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, you know, uh, uh, put in at the end. That was, that was there. So, um, so it was a very, uh, it was, it was truly a team effort to make that, that come into being. Then my last question about episode 10 is all of the music, they're, they're out at sea for a bulk of the episode trying to determine who, whose head's going to roll. We think it's Kendall in, in the penultimate moment until, until, until the huzzah at the end. Um, but all of the music, Kendall's departure, uh, Maestoso, Concerto Grosso, all of it is stacked at the end. How did that come to be? You know, it's again that interplay of dialogue and and story and music where there are times where the music needs to be very, um, uh, you know, underpinning things, but not pushing them, not overtly uh, forward. And then there are times where the music help really, I think, is is our partner in telling the story in a way. And from the moment of Kendall's departure from the yacht, to you know, to the to the plane, to the press conference, then the betrayal. Um, it's a heightened state of emotion. I think you know we are fully with Kendall in this moment, and I think we, in a way, we were trying. We we had to reach a state of. I kind of use that word before this almost like operatic kind of moment of the betrayal. I mean, there is a sort of almost Greek tragic father trying to slay, you know, son trying to slay the father here you know, that's happening. Um, and, uh, that, you know, again, it's, it's, it's episode to episode. Like that wasn't planned in advance. That was me responding to those moments. That was me talking to Jesse and our team, uh, and, and trying things out. And the moment of the, 
the symmetry that happens that it was something that I really was, um, was happy about at the end was that the, that moment, the very high arch drama Baroque feeling of that concerto grosso. And then the tying together where what you hear over the end credits is actually uh, the end credits track is what we've, first heard when we're in Iceland, the Rondo in F minor, but now it's a cello concerto and it is darker and richer. And so there's this kind of, hopefully this kind of large scale storytelling that we've been trying to do with the music where you hear Kendall in episode one and he's in this melancholic place and he is brooding and he is inward. And then now you hear Kendall at the end and he is betrayed his father in a grand scale. So the music, I think I was trying to do something similar. Give us your setup when you're, when you're recording this music. Are you recording in your studio in New York? Are you assembling, are you assembling the quintet, the quintet, uh, quintet of cellos there? Or are you actually going to another, and, and how big was your, your, your orchestra this season? It, it depends. You know, it's actually in quite, there's quite a few different places that we do it. Um, I do work here at home in my studio a lot. Um, there are other studios that we'll go to and there's a wonderful group of friends who kind of get together and I'll record with. Um, you know, the, the biggest sound that I think you really hear at any one time is really more of like a chamber orchestra sound. Um, it's never, it, which I think is in keeping with the classical nature of things. Uh, it's, it's not you know, it's not a 90 piece orchestra because that's the wrong, that's the wrong sound actually. That's not, that's not where we are. It's a more, it's kind of an edgier, I would say more nimble classical kind of a sound. Um, And I do a lot of the, you know, I I do a lot of work here at home uh, in my studio and I experiment with things um, and I'll, I'll even sometimes mix some of the things myself. And then uh, I work with a wonderful mixer, Tommy Bakari, who I've worked with on other projects. You know, he, he mixed Moonlight uh as well and 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 if Beale Street could talk. Uh and and we have a you know, my team is is this wonderful team of of uh of uh individuals. You know, we have uh we ch- we try to I, I think that's again, you know, like I was talking about with creative uh partnerships, you know, over time you you find your your compatriots in a way. Uh and uh and that's I think you develop a shorthand over time with how how you work together and what the right way to approach things is. Um, and even, you know, in the mixing stage too, I mean, I think you, I think I might've mentioned before, but you know, there is, sometimes there's a heightened amount of bass. I have a certain mixing style that I try to approach, especially with succession, which I think in some sense is kind of like a, uh, classical with extra low end, extra, you know, there's a sort of bowy extra edge to the bow kind of a sound that I really like, um, hearing in, in strings in particular. Um, so I sort of, I sort of look for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's, and it's, and I, you know, every one of these projects, I try to do a different sound and every season I'm, I am really trying to, to come up with new themes. For example, for season three, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to figure out new sounds for season three. Um, and obviously we're on pause until we can find a safe and, uh, you know, a healthy way for, for everybody to, to, to put the show together as everyone is trying to figure out right now. Um, but, but I've already begun to explore ideas and I'm in touch with Jesse Armstrong and, you know, uh, I just sent him an idea the other day. So, so we'll see. No, no word on what, what, 
what direction the theme would be, which would indicate a greater theme of which. No, which no word on it. No word on I, anything. All, all secret. Hope, all secret resurrection, anything. renaissance, and Kendall and Kendall Roy. We'll see. Um, <laughs> the um, what else can you share with the, with us? What else you're working on? Uh, well, right now I'm I'm actively working on uh, Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad oh, yeah. series. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's really a big focus of mine is um, exploring that. I've uh, you know, Barry was able uh, basically to finish shooting the show right before this uh, virus took over. So we are in post-production. And um, uh, I I started, you know, I started working with Barry on that, you know, really even before uh, he started shooting. So as we've done in other projects, we have this period of time where we're able to explore things and test things. So, um, you know, luckily I had actually been able to, write and and even record quite a bit of music before this terrible um scenario we're in had had begun um but uh but there's a lot more to do so i'm actively uh you know writing music right now and and like everybody um i'm trying to figure out uh what is possible with scoring what is possible technically practically um i think uh i'm you know op, op, you know optimistically or, or in a positive kind of way I'm imagining that some of the limitations we face might lead to interesting uh, creative possibilities. You know, maybe I'll explore sounds that I might not have otherwise uh, because I can't leave my house, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, it's really hard. It's, it's definitely, um, it's, a really, it's a really bad time. It's a really hard time. And uh, yeah. I don't know, I don't really know, you know, when, you know, yet, any of us will be able to go back to doing even things that are close to like what we were doing before. So, um, so yeah, the most important thing is safety and, um, and then, uh, you know, just being creative at home. I've been, uh, you know, I've, 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 I've been, uh, as we are now, you know, doing more zooms, I've been even, uh, experimenting with, uh, I, I bought some tripods. So I have a, I've even done a couple of videos, you know, that I've shared on Twitter and things like that. So there's there's more home production, I would say, than I've ever done before. <laughs> Nicholas Bertel, two-time Oscar nominee and the Emmy winner last year of uh, original of the original music title for for Succession. Thank you so much for coming back to Crew Call. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk to Great you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.